Father, it is good to be in your house tonight, and Lord, we are thankful uh, for the grace that you have uh, bestowed upon us, your grace that, uh, that it's available to everyone. Lord, we're thankful for that, and we're thankful that there's nothing greater than that grace. And again, Lord, I want to say thank you for the nation that we are able to be a part of and the freedom that we have. God, I pray that you'd help us to cherish that and uh, to stand for it. I pray, Lord, that you'd bless the effort to preach your word tonight. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week as we began looking at chapter 7, you may remember that we entered into the territory of considering uh, the, the history, so to speak, and the person of Melchizedek. It is a person, uh, a figure that we know very little about from the scriptures, so therefore uh, much of what is said in, in many regards until you get to Hebrews chapter 7 would be speculation of sorts. But something that the writer of Hebrews tried to do, and he tried to do very clearly, was this, is that he tried to get the Jews to understand that Melchizedek was superior over Abraham because he spoke of how Abraham gave tithes to Melchizedek after the slaughter of the kings. We also noticed in verse number 7 that uh, there was no contradiction to this, that the less was blessed of the better. And so we know that whenever Melchizedek blessed Abraham, that it was the better or the superior, blessing the inferior. And so that would have been hard for a Jew in their day to accept. It would have been hard for them to, to really be willing to, to listen to such a statement. But they had to be confronted with this truth that Melchizedek and everything that, that he was about was greater than or superior over uh, the work and the person and the being of Abraham. And as all that played out, the writer also conveyed this truth, that the priesthood of Christ, which was after the order of Melchizedek, was greater than the priesthood of the Levitical tribe. And so therefore, what the writer was conveying is this, is that Christ and his work is superior now over the work of the law. And he talked about how with the new priest, the rules have changed and the law has changed. And so it would have been very difficult for the Jews to hear, but they had to be confronted with this truth that though you have had your tradition, though you have had your rituals, though you have had your ways, everything that you've had, though that has been a part of your religious culture and your religious environment for all of these generations, Christ is now superior. And last week I tried to remind us of this simple truth, yet it is one that is being challenged on a daily, weekly basis, and that is this, is today Christ remains superior over all faiths, over all religions, over all beliefs, over all ideologies, and that is under attack because we live in a day, we live in a culture where people want to suggest that all are equal. It doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter who you follow. It doesn't matter what teachings you ascribe to. We're all equal and we're all going to be okay. And we have got to be willing to say to someone in kindness but in boldness that they are wrong, that that mentality is wrong, that Christ is superior and Christ is the only way to salvation. We must be willing to take that kind of a stand. And the reason, among so many reasons, but one of the reasons that Christianity is suffering so much these days is because Christians don't want to take a stand. 
We, we don't want to take a stand and say this is what the Word of God declares, really in any area of life, but especially, as it seems, in the area of, of, of the superiority of Christ. So many Christians want to cower down and say, well, you know, I mean, I don't know. I just, uh, well, I sh- uh, well, no, Christ is superior. End of discussion. And if you're not convinced of that, uh, you need to get convinced of it. And so that is where we left off last week. Tonight we're going to look at just a couple of verses. Before we do, I want to I want to share something with you tonight that most of you know, uh, just because of your uh, knowledge of me, and as long as obviously Susie and I have been here, and all the stories I have shared with you over the years. But most of you know that Susie and I grew up in very conservative homes. And whenever I say conservative, I don't just mean politically conservative. I mean very conservative by way of values, by way of traditions, by way of of thought processes and things of that nature. We grew up in church, though obviously not in the same church, and uh, grew up in many ways, what I would say, with very strong biblical principles being applied to our lives. Okay, so in in many ways, my parents were not at all worried about what the culture was doing. Susie's parents were not worried at all what the culture was doing and the direction it was taking uh, or the direction it was going. And and so uh, here we are growing up in these very conservative, traditional, uh, in many ways narrow-minded homes. And at age 18 for myself and 19 for Susie, we met for the first time. Soon after we met, I decided, well, actually, the first time I saw her, I decided that's, you know, who I want to spend my life with. But nonetheless, uh, whenever I saw her, I I thought to myself, I want to get to know her. I I want to go out with her. And uh, a few weeks later, I don't know what the time frame would have been, I called Susie and and uh, I asked if she'd like to go out on a date, and she said yes. So we had our first date, July 10th, 1993. How many of you can remember your first date, the day of it? I'm, I'm telling you, I'm good, all right? Anyway, July 10th, 1993. All right, so we have our first date, and it was fun. We enjoyed ourselves, went to dinner, went and played putt-putt. And uh, not much you can do with the background that we have. You know, you're not going to go to a movie. You're not going to do this kind of stuff. So we went to dinner, went and played putt-putt, and then went back to her parents' house and visited with her parents for a while. The next week, we had a second date. And after that, it was one of those things where we just understood we're an item. I was glad to be an item with her. She was, I think, glad to be an item with me at least for a while. And anyways, I need to be careful. But uh, uh, we were boyfriend and girlfriend, and we were dating, and we were going out to eat after church and things of that nature with the college group, and and we were having a good time. Well, if you fast forward about a year after that, here is what I knew and I was confident of in the heart of Susie at that time, is that we were not content and satisfied to just remain dating. We did not just want to remain boyfriend and girlfriend. And so this was not anything I even had to entertain in my mind as to what the next step was. The next step was to propose to her for the marriage that we wanted to both partake in. Okay, And so what I mean by that is this. 
is I knew that there would be no trips together out of town. There would be no living together prior to marriage. If I had suggested that to my parents, I would still be recovering from such a thought. And, and if Susie had suggested that to her parents, uh, it, it would have been a... a it, why even go there? We, we wouldn't have even thought to do such a thing. Okay, and so it was okay. We want to take the, the relationship now to the next level. And so I'm going to propose to you. I'm going to ask for your hand in marriage. She said yes, obviously. And so a little over 21 years ago, we were married. Now, as that story plays out, here's what I want us to understand. And I, I know that you understand this, again, from the perspective that I'm trying to present this from. But dating served a purpose, okay, in that regard. It allowed Susie and I the opportunity to get to know each other. It allowed us to, to visit. It allowed us to enjoy one another's company. Uh, it was good. You understand that, don't you? I mean, it was good to spend time together. We enjoyed going out to eat and all that that afforded. But again, because of the way that we were raised and the expectations that were put on us, then you understand this. There were certain limitations that were fairly obvious, and, and they were in place, and they were understood in that relationship. And so here is what happened. As much of a purpose as the dating and the engagement time, as much of a purpose as that served, for all the joy that that brought us, you understand, and, and I, I want to say this in an appropriate way because there is so much to it, but marriage opened up the door for so much more in our relationship. We were able to spend every day of our lives together, not just Friday nights and Sunday nights after church and Wednesday nights after church. We were able to spend every day of our lives together, and we were able to draw closer to one another. And, and certain things that were not available to us in the dating and the engagement aspect of the relationship was now made available to us in the marriage relationship. And, and so if you'll understand this principle for a moment, here's what I want us to see. That, that the dating and the engagement, it, again, it served a purpose and it was good, but the marriage was oh so much better. However, as you well know from different stories and different thoughts and illustrations, this is what you know, that Susie and I did not enter into marriage very maturely, and so as a result of that, there were a lot of speed bumps and there were a lot of hard times in our marriage. So I came to understand this, that just because you are married, it does not guarantee you a close relationship with your spouse. You can be married and not have a close relationship with your husband. You can be married and not have a close relationship with your wife. You can be married, but that doesn't mean that the relationship is what it's supposed to be. So it takes some maturing and it takes some growing up to allow or to, to make that relationship everything that it was designed to be. Now, this evening, as we think about that, we'll come back to those thoughts, I hope, in a couple of moments. But I want us to begin this evening looking in verse number 18. As we look in verse 18, keep this in mind, the readers of chapter 7 have just been slapped in the face, so to speak. They've just been told that Melchizedek is superior over Abraham. And as a result of Christ being after the order of Melchizedek, that Christ then is superior over the Levitical priesthood, which means this, that their religious system is now inferior to the work of Christ. 
As that is so, notice what he says in verse number 18. If there was any doubt whatsoever as to what he thought and as to what he believed, he said, for there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before. What does it mean whenever he makes that statement? Well, let's consider first of all the word verily. It means for something to be true or for something to be this idea of indeed it is so. And so here's what we understand by just that one little word verily that the writer is absolutely convinced in his heart that what he is about to say is 100% accurate, it is 100% true, indeed, truly, verily, this is so. So what is verily so? What is truly and indeed so? Well, he said, for there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before. What is the commandment talking about? Well, the word commandment would mean this, a prescribed order of things. A prescribed order of things. And so if you think about the context, here's what we know the writer is talking about. He is talking about the religious system of the Jews. And certainly with the religious system of the Jew, there was a prescribed order of things. Are we listening to this? With the religious system of the Jews, it was very much a prescribed order. You do this for this. You do this for this. You do this for this. This offering for this. This sacrifice for this. This prayer for this. Whatever you would like to consider, there was a prescribed order for every aspect of their religious life. For there is verily a disannulling of the prescribed order of things going before. So what does it mean whenever he says that there is a disannulling of the commandment or the prescribed order of things? Well, the word disannulling means this, an abolishment or a doing away with. So what he has just said is this, indeed, truly, without doubt, without question whatsoever, Everything by way of commandment, everything by way of a prescribed order of things, everything that you have done by way of the law, you need to understand something. That which was before, that has now been disannulled, which means this, that has been done away with or that has been abolished. It's over. Now understand, please, he is not suggesting that it did not serve a purpose in its day. The prescribed order of things certainly had a purpose. The prescribed order of things certainly fulfilled what it was supposed to fulfill. It was kind of like Susie and I dating and getting to know each other and, and enjoying one another's company. Listen, as you look back at the commandment, as you look back at the law, as you look back at the prescribed order of things in their religious life, the writer is not suggesting that it's never had a purpose. But what he goes on to say is this, for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. You know what he's saying? He is saying that the former prescribed order of things has been abolished and done away with because now that is weak and unprofitable. What does it mean for something to be unprofitable? It means this, for it to be useless at this point. It's useless. That's kind of a bold statement, is it not, to a bunch of Jews? 
about their religious system that they have known for thousands of years? He says, you need to understand something. Everything that you've known in the past, that is now abolished. It is now done away with. And there is a reason for it because it is weak. It is incapable. And it is unprofitable. It is useless at this point. Well, who do you think you are? Well, listen, I'm just telling you. I'm trying to convey to you what is the, the new law, so to speak. What would be the new commandment? So notice what he says in verse number 19. He said, for the law made nothing perfect. The law made nothing perfect. What does it mean for something to be perfect? It means this, for it to complete or bring to a whole, okay? And so to bring something to an end. And so here's what the writer says of the law and the religious system that it made nothing complete. It did nothing by way of bringing about total maturity or bringing something to an end. What was he saying? He was saying this, the law, as good as it was, had limitations on it. There was only so much in the life of the individual that the law could accomplish. Now again, did it have a place? Yes. Again, did it serve a purpose? Yes, it did. But as it relates to the law, there was only so much that the law could produce or accomplish in the life of of a worshiper of God. So again, if you'll think about the illustration for just a moment, I'm not trying to, to make this weird and just force it to fit, but it's kind of like in my relationship with Susie, and I think you'll understand why I'm using this in a few moments, but in my relationship with Susie, as good as it was, as wonderful as it was, she and I both knew that there were limitations in this relationship based upon the way things were and the way things had to be. So here's the writer, and he says, you've got to understand something, that the commandment or the former prescribed order of things, it has been disannulled because it is weak, it is unprofitable, it is useless at this point, because here is what was wrong with the law now in relationship or in comparison. He said the law could not bring things to a completion. So again, the limitations were in place, but notice what he said next. But the bringing in of a better hope did. What do you mean the bringing in of a better hope? Well, remember the context of what's being talked about. Christ, the priest, after the order of Melchizedek, okay? The old has now been replaced with the new. And so with the bringing in of a better or superior hope, that being Christ, what did it do? It then made perfection or completion possible. This is really, really good. See, with the arrival of Christ, here is what happened. With the ministry of Christ, with the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, here is what it did. It abolished everything in the past. And it made it weak and unprofitable. It it made it pointless because here's the law's limitations. It can only bring you so far in your relationship with the Lord. But when Christ came and did the work that he did on this earth and on this cross, here is what happened. He completed everything that was needed for man to know God. 
There is nothing lacking. There is nothing by way of a shortcoming. There is not something still left to look for or something still left to do or something still left to, to hope for. No, no, no. When God came, when, when Christ came, when God came in the, in the form of Christ, when Christ came, perfection or completion has now been made available to every man and woman. Now, as good as that is, notice what he said next. By the which we draw nigh unto God. By the which we draw nigh unto God. Now, the wording of that is a little confusing, maybe, for some, so we'll just simplify it. By the which. What does that mean? It means this, through which. See how simple that is? Through which we draw nigh unto God. Okay, Jews, here's what you've had. You've had a prescribed order of things. For generations, you've been told when you send this, you bring this. When you need this, you bring this. At this appointed time, you bring this offering. If you can't afford it, then you and another family, you do this or you do this, whatever it may be. Okay, you had all that and it served a purpose, but the law, the commandment, had limitations. So it was only going to get you so far in your relationship with the Lord. But now that a better hope has come, everything, everything is made available to you with God through the work of Jesus Christ that now through Him and His work we are able to draw nigh or get close to God. You know what the writer just said to the believers or to the, the audience that he's writing to? He just said this. You need to understand something. Because of the work of God, every boundary and every barrier has been removed. Kind of like the bride of Christ. Okay? And as a result of now being a part of the bride of Christ, if you think about that, it's pretty amazing. There is nothing now not available to us in our relationship with God. Which means this. You, as a believer, can have a personal and intimate relationship with God through Jesus Christ. A distance in the relationship is no longer required. A distance in the relationship is no longer something you have to settle for. A distance in the relationship is not something you have to be frustrated by anymore. No, no, no. Because of the work of God, here is what you were able to do. Everything has been brought to a completion. You now get to enjoy every aspect of who God is, and you can draw nigh unto Him you can have a close and personal relationship with God. Maybe it's just more exciting to me than it is to some of you. But friends, that's exciting. It's kind of like June 16th, 1995. Woohoo! No more limitations. You understand this? I, I get to enjoy everything, and everything is available to me, and, and, and I get to draw nigh unto the one that I love. 
Well, the same was true in our relationship with Christ, okay? Before the work of Christ, before what He did on the cross, man was able to go so far, but now it's woohoo! I get to enjoy everything that God has made available to us, and I get to know Him. I get to know Him in the most intimate, most personal, most wonderful of ways because what He did brought about perfection, a completion, a bringing to an end everything that I as an individual need. Chew on that for a minute. In the last 2,000 years, not one thing has changed. What? Not one thing has changed. Meaning, because of my salvation, because of your salvation, if you are saved, you know what you get to do? You get to know God. And you get to be as near to God as you want to be. But it's kind of like my relationship with Susie after we got married. After the honeymoon effect wore off, here's what I discovered. That does not guarantee a right relationship. Following this, I'm saved, you're saved, we would all profess, I'm sure tonight, to be children of God. So, so we're saved. Okay, so what does that mean? It means this, I have unlimited access to who God is. I can know God in the most intimate of ways. I can draw near unto God. That is wonderful, that is fantastic, that is, that is excellent news that you and I don't even really begin to know how to appreciate because we don't know what it was like to be under the old prescribed order of things. But here we are tonight, we're able to say, I am able to know God. I'm able to have this personal, intimate relationship with Him. It is wonderful. It is fantastic. It is a blessing. It is superior. It is all these things. And yet, here is what we have to consider tonight. Just because it's available does not mean people are taking advantage of it. Just because one may be saved, just because one may be a child of God, you and I need to realize this, that not everyone is near unto the God they claim to now have this relationship with. And it's kind of like two people being married and living in the same house, but not enjoying everything that the marriage makes available to them. It is an unfortunate thing when a person is a child of God, but they are not near God and taking advantage of everything the relationship has to offer. I'm just going to, I know it's July 3rd, I, I get it, but we got 12 minutes, okay, till you're even thinking about getting out of here. So I'm just, I'm just going to stop for just a moment, okay? I know by way of first-hand experience how miserable it is to be with someone that you have no limitations with but for the relationship to not be right. So therefore, you're missing out on what's available to you. 
In the same way, I want us to think about this. There are so many people who have everything afforded to them by way of their relationship with God to draw nigh unto Him, to draw near unto Him. But with everything that is available, they are not doing it. And friends, I am telling you, if you could get those people to be honest, that is a miserable relationship to be a part of. There is no joy in a personal relationship with Christ where at the same time a closeness with Christ is not present. See, there are so many people who are saved by way of testimony, and that's what we have to take it at by way of face value. But here is what you know. You know that they are not near God in the relationship, and at the same time, here is what you then witness they don't really enjoy their relationship with God. It's sad. But it happens on a daily basis. And so this evening, I just want us to consider a couple of things, and we'll be done, we'll be out by 7, so don't worry. But I want us to consider a couple of things that would stand in the way of our relationship and God, what would stand in the way of me enjoying and what would stand in the way of you enjoying everything that is available to us by way of a near, close, personal, intimate relationship with the Lord. Here's one big issue that I know to be true and I think I could point us to in Scripture by way of principle and say right here proves what I'm telling you. But it would be true in marriage and it would be true in our relationship with the Lord and that would be this, a lack of communication. You find a husband and wife who don't communicate and I promise you this, you'll find a husband and wife who are frustrated with one another unless one is too ignorant to know they ought to be frustrated. And those people do exist, just so you know. But you find a husband and wife who do not communicate with one another, and you will find a frustrated group of people. All right. You take the individual who is saved, and they have no communication with the one they have a relationship with, and I promise you they are not enjoying their relationship with the Lord the way that they could. Here is what you will never, ever, 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 ever convince me of. Verily. Okay, that means indeed and truly, okay? Verily, you will never convince me of this, that a Christian can go through life not being a a student of the Word and knowing God the way He was designed or enabled to know Him. You, you find someone who is not in the Word, God's communication to God's man or, or to man. You find someone who is not in the Word, letting God communicate to them. And I promise you, you are looking at an individual who is not as near to God as they could be. Because it is through God's Word that He communicates with man. You find someone, and and, and again, you'll not convince me of this otherwise, but you find someone that is not one who is faithful 
to prayer and to going to the throne of God in the act of prayer, you find someone who is not communicating with God on a consistent, regular basis through prayer, not just the Christmas list of everything they need from Him, but truly spending time in prayer with God. You find someone who does not have that type of communication with God, and I will show you someone who is not as close to God as they could be. It is impossible to not be a man of prayer, a woman of prayer, a woman or a man of the Word, and know God the way that you're able to. And you will never, ever convince me that you can sit out of church and know God the way that you're able to know God. I just don't feel like I have to go to church to be a Christian. You may not have to go to church to be a Christian, but you do have to go to church in order to know God the way that you were designed and enabled to know God. I just don't believe that. Well, then read through the New Testament and see how you can come to any other conclusion, friend. I'm telling you, if there is no communication between us and the Father, then the relationship will not be everything that it was designed to be. But I would say this also, that there does not just need to be communication. There needs to be attention to the communication that's taking place. There needs to be an engagement to the process. What good does it do to talk if neither is listening? And what good does it do to talk if only one is listening? Think about this real quick, and I know that we need to wrap it up, but I want us to think about this. What good does it do to read your word or to read the word if, if you're not giving attention to what God is saying? Well, I've got to sit down and read because the preacher said I need to be reading my Bible. So I'm going to sit down and I'm going to read my Bible for five minutes real quick. Okay, 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 I, I'm done. You wasted your time. You've got to be engaged in the process. It's not just enough to say, oh yeah, I read my Bible. No, you've got to be engaged in the process. If you're not mentally and spiritually engaged in the process of reading the Word, then friends, you're not as close to God as you otherwise could be and ought to be. Friends, if all you're doing is kneeling before the Lord and you're just giving your recited, memorized prayer and you're not even thinking about what it is you're doing and you're not engaged in what it is you're doing, friends, you're wasting your time. And so many times we become ritualistic in our prayer lives and we just go through the same routine. Friends, that is not enough to draw nigh unto Him. And it does not matter how many times we enter the church house doors. It just doesn't matter. If all we are are hearers of the Word, but we're not doers of the Word... Our relationship with the Lord is not what it could and should be. Not only does there have to be communication, there has to be engagement on our part in the communication that takes place. But there's something else that stands between our relationship with the Lord so many times that we don't like to think about, but it's this, and that is sin in our life that we refuse to deal with. We want to draw nigh to God. We just don't want to address anything in our lives as we're doing so. 
We don't want to be broken over our sin. We don't want to be broken over that which is keeping us at a distance. And so what we really want to do so many times, listen, I said we because we've all been guilty of this. We want to have a close relationship with the Lord while we hold on to certain things in our lives. That hinders the relationship. It's like saying, honey, I want a perfect relationship with you while I hold on to certain things that I know you don't like. Guess what? It's not going to work well. <laughs> there are so many people sitting in churches and, and, and listen, they don't communicate with the Lord. They don't let the Lord communicate to them when they're engaged in the process or when they're going through the motions of the process. They're not really engaged in it like they ought. They're not letting the Holy Spirit lead. They're not letting the Holy Spirit guide. They're listening, but they're not doing. And on and on it goes. We're quenching the Spirit. Have we ever quenched the Spirit? Yes, Brother Kyle, we've quenched the Spirit. Yes, we quench the Spirit. And what does that do? It gives a distance or it puts a distance in our relationship with the Lord that we are able to be near. I don't know about you. Okay, I don't know about you. But I like my relationship with Susie a whole lot better when things are right. I enjoy going home more. I enjoy being there more. She enjoys me being there more. I mean, it's just way better when there are no limitations and everything is right between she and I. The communication is what it's supposed to be. Our actions toward one another is what it's supposed to be. That's just good. And that is the way the marriage was designed to be. Think about, please, your relationship and my relationship with the Lord. Drawing near to God is something available to us. And our relationship with the Lord is so much better when we communicate with Him, we let Him communicate with us, and things are right between us and our Savior. Everything is better then, but there are so many people who are content with a distant relationship with their Savior. I want to ask you tonight to consider this very quickly. I want to ask you tonight, how close of a relationship do you have with the one who saved you? See, here's what you know. You know the answer. Just if I were to ask you tonight, what kind of relationship do you have with your spouse? You know the answer. What kind of relationship do you have with your Savior? Can you and I tonight say, you know what, we are doing everything we can to make sure that it is as close and as intimate and as personal as it can be. I want to know God, and I am doing everything that I know to do and can do so that I can know Him better. Can you and I say that tonight? It is so important that we be able to say, I am drawing nigh unto him because of what is available to me now through my salvation. Are you near the Savior? If you're not, here's what I know. At best, you are a very frustrated Christian. Because you cannot be far from the Savior and still be enjoying the Christian life. It's just not possible. What is your relationship like with the Lord?
Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, I pray that you'd help us tonight to be honest and considering our relationship with you. Lord, it's a wonderful thing to know that there are no limits, there are no boundaries in how well we can know you, how close we can draw to you. Lord, it's just wonderful to know that the work that you did completed everything. It finished everything. It's done. But God, there is a responsibility on our part to make sure that we communicate, that we address sin, that we engage in what we're doing with our heart and with our mind. And Lord, it's possible and probable that there are some in here this evening who are not really that close to you. I pray that tonight you'd help us to address that and to begin making things right. I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. As Lauren plays.